0: The following message is brought to you by Champions Church. For more information, please visit champchurch.com. Uh, I want to, uh, to get into the Word this morning, and as we prepare to get into the Word, I want to uh, share a couple of uh, Uh, thoughts with you in anticipation. You know, sometimes when you have a a word stirring in your heart for uh, a time, uh, you can have anticipation of what that's going to be like. Uh, Maybe you have a a bit of a a point that you're hoping to to be made, something that has stood out. And then there are times where you can, uh, you're aware that there's a a shift or a change in that. And this is kind of one of those times. So there's a lot of things here that have been adjusted during our time of praise and worship. And I'm very hopeful that, uh, that in making those adjustments that we're, were dialed in here and hitting the bullseye, I can tell you there, there is a tremendous risk on any given meeting like this meeting, okay? So let me tell you what this meeting is when I say like this meeting. Uh, this meeting is a, a, a group of believers that are present, and, and when you are dealing with a group of believers that are present, you can do something that is referred to as preach to the choir. You ever heard that statement before? Uh, So imagine like you have a meeting like this and you want to talk about the importance of church attendance. Well, you're talking to a group of people who have prioritized coming to church, right? So it's kind of interesting. That's not the topic. I'm just giving you kind of an example. Well, I don't want to bring this message because I believe this message is is of uh, tremendous necessity for this specific group. Rather, I want to bring this message because I believe that we need to be equipped to deliver This message to identify where this message is needed and minister these things outside of these walls. I want to talk about fellowship. Now, when I look around here, I see a group of people that if someone were to ask me, hey, Preston, who do you think you can bank on being at church on Sunday? Well, almost everybody who's in the room right now would be on that list, right? And there's a lot of people that I could tell you are like, well, they're kind of once a month or they're kind of every other week or I haven't seen them in two years or, you know, I mean, you've got a long list of, of people that are all over the map as it concerns fellowship and contact and connection. And, and so when you're dealing with this group of people, this group of people that is, is very devoted to fellowship, this message isn't to equip you uh, for the purpose of your life decisions, but rather to equip you for the purpose of imparting those things into the lives of others, you're going to see areas where people are in desperate need of ministry, and oftentimes that ministry is fellowship. That is going to be the solution for what they need. We're going to see a number of indicators there, and hopefully those things can stand out to us and we'll be uh, uh, equipped to minister very appropriately and effectively to those who are in need. So as we get into the word here, here's a few things that we're going to find. And I want to offer these to you so that we can stay engaged together in the Word, moving through the Word. Uh, one, we're going to find, now this is an opinion, okay, so no need to, uh, to offer uh, uh, any uh, uh, argument here. This is simply my opinion, the most important thing about God. Now, just because it's my opinion doesn't mean that it can't be fact. I mean, uh, it, it could be the, a true statement, uh, it could be factual in every way but I'm offering it to you as my opinion. You may have another view or another thought, and that's perfectly okay. Uh, so maybe a better way for me to put it is Preston's opinion as to what the most important thing about God is. We're going to find that when we open up. And we're we're going to go from there. We're going to find out why Jesus talks to us. Now, that's a, a, a big deal to me. In fact, you know, just a, a, a short time ago, that would have been a very uh, controversial statement. I mean, I think more and more congregations and churches are are excited about the idea that God engages uh, in a relational one-on-one way. But I do remember a time where, uh, you know, 10, 20 years ago, there were entire church groups that thought that you were nuts if you believed that God speaks to you. And I'm a a big believer that God speaks to you. I can give you parts of my personal testimony where where there have been uh, tremendous relational engagements with God in my own personal life. I can give you uh, uh, parts of my testimony that are even before being a believer where I know that God spoke with me. And, and his love and his affection for my life uh, didn't just become a, an element of our relationship when I became a Christian. Rather, uh, from the very beginning, God's love and affection has been present and his desire to connect and fellowship with me has been there. So we're going to find out why Jesus talks to us. That'll be uh, in the scripture. And then another thing that we're going to find is how to know if we're godly. Uh, I don't mean for that to sound strange, but I remember, you know, making a description of an individual just saying, well, you know, he's a godly guy. And, and I thought, what an interesting way to describe someone, that they're godly, you know. I mean, you're not giving some physical description or, or something like that, but rather you're identifying that this person you know, lives their life in a certain way that it could be described as, as righteous or the things that would describe God. And so I want to find out, you know, what does it mean or what does it look like? Uh, how to know if we're living godly lives. And there's a really amazing area of scripture that I think we ought to use as a, an aiming stake or a measuring stick, so to speak, to identify uh, our lives and, and as if we are living in a way that could be described as godly. So, uh, as we get into the word here, if you have your Bibles, I want to ask you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. So we're going to get into the word, we're going to jump right in. Uh, I, I want to find out here, uh, as we, we mentioned before, it was an opinion, but what I believe the most important thing about God is, I believe you see this in the opening words of uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, specifically Verse 9. Uh, as you get to verse 9, you'll see these, these three words that open up this passage, and these three words are cause for great celebration. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 9, God is faithful. Now, I want to stop right there for a moment and just kind of give the big reveal here. In my opinion, this is the most important thing about God, that he's faithful. I mean, some people could say, well... It's that he's loving, or that he's merciful, or that he's gracious, and and all of those things are wonderful things, but those things are only wonderful if he doesn't change those things, right? I mean, what if he's loving one day, and then he hates me the next? Uh, What if he's merciful one day, and then vindictive the next? I mean... The thing that makes God so incredibly uh, uh, desirable to be a part of my life is that he will not change. When he extends his fellowship, when he extends his love, when he extends his mercy, when he extends his grace, it is extended with the truth that he will be faithful, that he will fulfill the things that he says he will do, that he will uh, be who he declares that he is. And his faithfulness is really the only ground that we can stand on That will remain. Everything else is subject to shift or to change or to crumble. But the idea that God is faithful is this wonderful uh, uh, element of who he is that is at the foundation of all that we celebrate. So this passage of scripture that opens up with this great declaration then goes on to talk about uh, uh, incredible works that God's doing in and through our lives on our behalf. Opening up, God is faithful through whom you were called into fellowship with his son Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, that passage of scripture right there might not seem like a, a whole lot, but I think this is really everything. And, and I want to take a look at it from a couple of perspectives and, and build on this for the purpose of today's message. Uh, God's faithful, and through uh, uh, his faithfulness and through his, his love and his affection for us, we were called into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. You can take that and you can look at it from a couple of different angles. You could say that because God's faithful, he he called us into fellowship uh, with Jesus, and and I think that's an okay way to look at it. There's nothing wrong with that. Anything that connects you with Jesus is okay by me, and I think is a a good and and healthy perspective. But I want to offer this as a a perspective to you, that the wording here, if we take a look at it and just just, uh, look from a specific perspective, might reveal something a, a little more than that. God is faithful, through whom, or excuse me, through whom you were called into fellowship with His Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. If we if we look at that from the perspective that He's faithful and He called us into fellowship with Jesus, that's great. If we look at it and we see that He called us into fellowship, and He did that with Jesus, that's a whole other thing. And and the the difference between those, even though it seems like the splitting of hairs, the difference between those is great. One of those perspectives, God is calling you into fellowship with Jesus. No problem there. That's fantastic. The other perspective is God is calling you into fellowship with himself, your heavenly father. Now, that is the perspective that lines up with the rest of the scripture, that God is doing all of these things through Jesus on your behalf, that that Jesus literally is the, the means to the end And that end is restored fellowship with God. And I say restored on purpose. I mean, when you consider uh, redemption and all of its definition, all that it means, that there's this coming back, that there's this returning, this restoration is everything that was once with Adam, Adam's relationship with God, is being uh, restored and in greater abundance, secured eternally all through Jesus. The scripture testifies of all of these things. So I have to just stop and and acknowledge why is it important to see from that perspective? Well, I I don't know that we could make it a a priority one issue, but to me personally, it's a really big deal to see that God has called me into these things for our relationship. When I say our, I mean my relationship with him as my heavenly father. That it's not a, a, a relationship that has been compromised and so it's been patched up you know, well, you blew it with me, but let's see if you can make it work with Jesus. Rather, this is, hey, I love you so much that I'm going to give all that I have to see to it that our relationship is restored. Those are two completely different narratives. And the latter of those narratives is one that is rich with with mercy, grace, love, forgiveness in the fullest measure that we could possibly know. And honestly, I don't know that our minds are able to comprehend it. But to come into the revelation and the knowledge that God has done great things and gone to all of these lengths to send his son on our behalf, to take our punishment and our shame, to open up a door for the veil that once separated men from their heavenly father to be ripped into so that something could take place is a really big deal. And that thing that took place was the restoration of fellowship between men and their creator. To see God as doing this work on our behalf is to have our eyes open to see why he's faithful and what his faithfulness is accomplishing. It is indeed a restoration, a restoration of fellowship into our lives. I want to give you a a passage of scripture here and offer these things as a couple of thoughts. I mean... The, the idea that we're called into fellowship and it's all by the work of Jesus Christ that that fellowship is to be with God would line up with this concept, the idea of eternal life itself. I mean we've talked about eternal life in, in our services in the past and in our times in the word together. The idea that that life eternal is not just some promise that's made in order to you know expand our social club of Christianity but rather that there is a a real cause and effect uh, that brings eternal life into reality. I mean, that death exists because of sin. The scripture makes a, no apology for that statement being true. It says the wages of sin is death. Well, if you take sin out of my life, then you also take death out of my life. So with the blood of Jesus entering into your life and holiness being imparted into your life and all sin and corruption being uh, uh, removed from your life and all righteousness and holiness being imparted into your life, there is no room for death anymore, only life. The reason why we can celebrate eternal life. Now what you have to, to examine is what the scripture says eternal life actually is. Not just why it exists or that it's a real thing, but What is this real thing? And I want to give you a passage of scripture here as we we continue in the word from the gospel of John, John chapter 17. I, I always note this when we talk about John chapter 17 because I think it's always worth noting. And that's that John chapter 17 is Jesus praying for you. I mean, we like to identify a passage of scripture from the gospel as the Lord's prayer, you know, our Father who art in heaven. That's really not the Lord's prayer. Uh, Jesus' prayer is found in John 17, his prayer for you. I mean, when the disciples say, hey, teach us how to pray, and he gives them some instructions, well, labeling that the Lord's Prayer is fine. I have no issue with that. But if you really want to see Jesus praying for you, turn to John 17, and you will hear the, the heart that your king has for you his love and his affection for you, his devotion to carrying out the will of God, uh, the the passion for these things coming to pass. You'll see uh, the the manifestation of the the birth of the church that, that we celebrate today when he says things like, I'm not asking you to take them out of the world. I'm asking you to to set them apart, to consecrate them with your word, which is truth. That's why I love coming together and getting into the word, because we are living out God answering the prayers of Jesus Christ, that we would be equipped and, and set apart and sanctified by truth, that even though we're in this world, we're not of this world. John chapter 17 is a wonderful read. Now, we're specifically looking at something from verse 3. And remember, we're talking about eternal life and not just why it exists. I mean, obviously, that is the removal of sin because it's sin that results in death. That's why eternal life exists. But then what eternal life is. And you'll see it here in John 17, verse 3. As Jesus prays, he says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you, even as you have given him authority over all flesh That all whom you have given him, he may give eternal life. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and the Christ or the Savior whom you've sent. That little line there in the end is the one that I want us to focus on. This is eternal life, that they may know you and the Savior that you've sent. I've considered that in my own life and in you know ministry and, and often you know we fall into the mechanics of things and I sat with a young man the other day and, and he was in a, a, a tremendous the uh, uh, midst of tremendous catastrophe it was a disaster he was an emotional wreck and everything in his life was turned upside down and it was a real crossroads I mean he could have gone one way or the other and and I sat, and as I sat with him, I thought, you know, this is really an opportune moment to witness. I need to bring my faith into this. I need to talk Jesus and I need to find the right strategy to inject the the solution to all of his problems in such a way that it can be effective. And we sat and I was listening to him, and he was was pouring out his issues and challenges, and it was very emotional. I began to, to ponder, you know, how do I do this? What's the right way? Do I, do I do this in, you know, let's share Jesus 101, reading off the back of a gospel track? Or, or is, how do you do this? And I began to realize that the eternal life that we celebrate is truly the knowing of God. I need to literally introduce this man to my heavenly father. That means talk about him. That means know who he is and be able to share who he is with him. And in our conversation, those are the things that we pursued. It was a matter of, hey, listen, let me tell you some things that I've been through, and let me tell you about the one that set me free. I didn't just want to tell him about God or give him an opportunity to sign up for a a better living through, you know, a church attendance program, but to actually make an introduction Because it's that point where life begins. It's that place where life exists. And it's in that realm where that is outside of time and and the things that would erode these these elements. Because it is absolute truth. Therefore, it is eternal. Those are the things that need to be focused on. And I think it's interesting when Jesus is speaking and he says, you know, this is life. That they would know you and the, the Savior that you've sent that he's making this statement in a prayer on our behalf, that he's asking God to to bring this into existence on our behalf. He's acknowledging you've given me the the authority to, to call them into your kingdom and that all that I call into your kingdom will have this life. But then he goes out of his way to explain what that is. Do you think God needed to know that? Do you think he's thinking like, hey, now I just want to be clear that you understand what we're talking about here. He's not saying this for God's edification. Rather, this is included in this prayer for your edification. And then you have to ask yourself this. Were there people there? Why is this written down? Were there people standing around listening to him pray? Uh, Hey, can you say that again? I didn't quite get that. Or did he talk about this later? Did he get with his disciples and say, hey, guys, I want to tell you something. In my prayer time this morning, I prayed and I prayed for you and I want to tell you what I prayed. And here's why I want to tell you why I prayed it, because I want you to expect it. I know what what God's answer is to this prayer, and I want you to anticipate the following things. This prayer was shared. I mean, we read this, and we're so subject to media and television and movies that we can just read that and, and read right past the fact that this is on a page in front of us for a reason. It's not as if this was produced and delivered for entertainment, but this was shared so that it could be shared. It was shared so that it could be shared with me, so that I could share it with someone else, and so that it could have an effect. What a wonderful thing to consider. The idea that Jesus would talk about this prayer for the purpose of anticipation, and in this case, to anticipate life. Life at an eternal level. Life that wouldn't be subject to uh, erosion and attrition, but life that would remain. And that life being identified as knowing who God is. I've spent a good deal of my Christianity uh, being taught about God. You, know, you can go through Christian bookstores where we have shelf after shelf after shelf of books that want to tell you about God. And all of that information is really fantastic. But at the end of the day, if it's not introducing us to God, if it's not making the connection to him relationally and personally, it's going to be problematic in its effects long term. Maybe it's encouraging in the temporary. Perhaps it can lift our spirits. And, and <laughs> I, I'm not throwing rocks when I say this. I mean it metaphorically. Be a bit of chicken soup for the soul. But to have an eternal effect on who we are, to make old things pass away and new things come, to cause a new creation to stand before you, equipped with the power and the mind to, to stand firm and to do what's right when it was always impossible before, is going to take something altogether different. More than just goosebumps and good feelings, but rather this introduction to our maker, to know who he is. This is where the life comes from. This is the call that's been placed upon our lives. And it makes perfect sense to me that Jesus would continue in this thread throughout the gospel. Now, I'm not talking about this in linear fashion. Sometimes you have to go back. But when you go back, you begin to realize, wow, that all makes sense because it's all connected. His narrative isn't changing and hopping around from place to place. But I want to give you a passage of scripture to serve as an example from the gospel of Matthew chapter 7. Jesus is is speaking and and he makes this comment that not everyone that calls me Lord will enter into the kingdom of heaven. And then he goes on to say that there will be those that will call me Lord, but that that don't enter and, and, and I will say to them, depart from me, I don't know you. It's pretty interesting to me that 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 statement would be included into that. I I don't think that Jesus is looking for awesome one-liners. I don't think that he's writing, you know, the crucifix action film, where he's looking for, you know, that catchy one-liner that he drops before something explodes and he walks away without flinching. He's saying this on purpose because knowing God is the difference between entering into the kingdom and not. It's said very strategically and specifically, intentionally, and rightly. It's correct. So I have to ask myself then, well, I want to be in the category of those who know God, so what does that look like? I want to know what it looks like to examine my life. I don't want to just tell myself, yeah, I know God. I mean, I think this group of people that Jesus describes wrestles with that. They put up arguments. Well, didn't we do this? Didn't we do that? What do you mean? that you don't know who we are. We know all about you, but the key is not to know about him, it's to actually know him. Not just to have information presented to you, but rather introduction to the person himself. So I want to look and I want to find out then what does it mean? I want to turn there. If you have your Bibles, you can go to Matthew chapter 7. I want to read uh, the area of scripture here and offer this to you as a a concept or or possibly a a place of examination to identify, are are we in the state of knowing God? Now, Jesus is making this comment. He says, not everyone who calls me by name uh, or calls me Lord, Lord will enter into the kingdom. There are going to be those that here depart from me. I don't know you. And when he's speaking this, he reveals something, and it's something that is worth uh, making a a note of. In fact, I think it's extremely important. Uh, Beginning in verse 21, Jesus is speaking. He says this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy? Did we not cast out devils? Did we not perform miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Apart from me. It's a pretty amazing thing to consider that, you know, casting out devils and, and performing miracles and, and these things that are listed here. I mean, if all of those things happened in today's church service, I think we'd all be on Facebook and be like, man, church was great today. Devils got cast out, people got healed. That'd be one for the books, But Jesus is revealing something here. He's saying that those things are not the point. You can know about God and see those things take place in your life and through your life, but the thing that will engage you in his kingdom or grant entry into his kingdom will be knowing him, not just about him. And and in this statement here, something great is revealed, and it's worth taking a note of. And I I hope that the cadence of today's message isn't, you know, an interruption to to receiving this. But I I do feel like it's important to stop and examine what's being said here, that Jesus makes this very clear. And though we have to take a look to examine it, I think once you see it, it's there, and you can't unsee it. What does it mean, then, to, to know God? If obviously it's, it's not limited to prophesying and casting out devils and performing miracles, if that's not knowing God, then what is? And Jesus, when he opens up this statement, I think he reveals it to us when he says, when he says that, that not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom, but. Now, following this but, you're going to see the... the alternative to this not getting entry you're going to see those that do get entry therefore you're going to see those that do know God and I think it's worth making a note of not everyone who says to me Lord will enter the kingdom of heaven but he who does the will of my father who is in heaven this is a really uh, a profound thing to consider I mean that's what I want in my life I want to, to know what the will of God is for the purpose of bringing the will of God to pass, for the sake of knowing who God is. I, how can I know what his will is without knowing who he is, without knowing the motive and the drive and the things that he would call me to? Because as far as I know, prophesying is a great thing. Casting out devils is a great thing. Performing miracles is a great thing. But apparently those things in and of themselves are not what we've been called to. Rather, we've been called into fellowship with God. You've not been called to be a group of wizards and warlocks. Rather, we've been called to be a group of sons and daughters. I love the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Some of the most fantastic testimonies in my life involve things like prophecy, casting out devils, and the effecting of miracles. I will never preach anything different. It's fantastic. It's the reason for the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. Those signs and wonders are all meant to confirm what is true and to testify that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that God raised Him from the dead, that He has ascended into heaven, that the Spirit of God has been poured out upon flesh, and that the things of God are for the people of God today, here and now. I believe it with all of my heart. But I know that that's not the point. That the point has been to restore fellowship between me and my Heavenly Father. Every day I want to see a veil ripped in two. When I sat with that young man, I thought about all the stories that I could tell him. Hey, there was this one time I was in Africa or there was this one person that came for prayer. There was this and there was that. And while all of those things would be exciting and intriguing All I could think is, God, I want the veil that exists between him and you to just be ripped to the ground. I don't want to tell him about my stories involving you. I want to introduce him to you. I want his eyes to see you. I want his ears to hear your voice. And at the sound of your voice, I want all the fear and the anxiety that grips his life and is dragging him down into death right now to release That's what I want. I don't want to indoctrinate him with the things about you, but I want to introduce him directly to you. And so uh, as we continue in the word here, I want to offer a few things that you can look for. I mean, I told you before, I don't want to preach to the choir, but rather I want to equip the saints. And, And we're surrounded by people all the time that are in desperate need of this introduction. They need to have a God introduced into their life. So I want to give you, uh, there's five of these, and I'm going to move really fast. I'm aware of the time. Things to look for in order to make that introduction. You're around people every day of your life, and you can see the things that exist in their life, the things that, that are, are manifest through their emotions and their words. Sometimes they will come right out and tell you the things they're going through because we're not a very private culture these days. But keep an eye out for these things for the purpose of knowing that is an opportune time to introduce you to my heavenly Father. I'm going to move through these quickly. The first one here would be bondage. Now, bondage is something when when you can't be shaken. I mean, people sin, and they fail. They make mistakes. But there are people who continue to go back to the same thing that is destroying their life. I am surrounded on a daily basis by men and women that are subject to addiction. And I, I can think of no greater substitute for the word bondage than addiction, it is an affliction that is present and ever present until broken and removed. And when you see bondage, you can guarantee that is an opportune time to make an introduction to your Heavenly Father because He is the breaker of bondage. Let me give you a passage of scripture here: 2 Corinthians 3:17. Now, where the Spirit of God is, there's freedom. When I see the absence of freedom, I, I'm aware this is a place where an introduction needs to be made. To my heavenly father because where he's at where his spirit is there's freedom there's not bondage there's not captivity but there's freedom there's liberty when you are living out your lives and you see those around you suffering bondage and the affliction of bondage know that this is an opportune moment for you to make an introduction another one to look for is a, An absence, uh, this one doesn't have a, a catchy word other than just being lost. Now when I say lost, I don't mean not having one's name recorded in the Lamb's book of life. I mean having no direction. And we're surrounded by people who are living their lives and, and they're, they're, they're spinning their wheels and they're going through motions, but they have no set course and, and when we have that uh, relationship with our Heavenly Father, when that introduction is made, direction and counsel is, is one of the many wonderful benefits. I want to give you a passage of Scripture here that, that uh, is, is probably not even the most direct, but I think it's very effective. From the Gospel of John, chapter 10, verse 27, Jesus is speaking, and he says, My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. Now, I want you to think for a moment of of the countless scriptures that I could have put in here about God giving wonderful counsel or his counsel being mighty or things like that. That's fantastic. All of those verses would have been a great fit. But I put this one in here on purpose because I think it's important to understand something. I told you before, we're going to find out why Jesus talks to us. Listen to this. My sheep hear my voice. That means he's talking. I know them. And they follow me. Jesus is talking to me so that I can follow his instructions. That's why he's talking to me. He's giving me direction. He's leading me in the way that I should go. Sometimes that might not be the way I want to go. And my will has to be tempered or or has to be surrendered to to his direction and his call. And, And sometimes that's more often than other times. But the reality is Jesus is speaking to me so that I can follow When we see those around us who are lost and and they have no direction in their lives, this is an opportune time to make an introduction. I can see to it that you need some direction. I'd like to introduce you to my Heavenly Father. Now, here's another one, and this one to me is is a a big deal. I've got a few passages of Scripture here. I'm going to offer the Scriptures to you to to read in your own time and give you kind of the point, okay? Okay. But what I have written down in my notes here is, is hate. Now, this is manifest in a number of different ways, but honestly, in, in one of the greatest ways in the scripture here would be uh, hate manifest in, in racism. Uh, this, this tremendous presumption or assumption that someone is a certain way, this prejudice that is at such a level that it would affect how someone would, would be treated or, or how someone would behave. You'll see throughout the scripture that when this kind of hate is manifest, this is an opportune time for the introduction to our Heavenly Father because God's love is absolute and it's open. It's without prejudice. I'll give you a, a few of these scriptures for your notes. Uh, one of them would be uh, 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. This is identifying that, that God is love and then... As you continue to, to, to examine first John, you'll find in First John chapter 3 verse 10, it talks about this uh, practicing of righteousness and this love for one another being the identifying factor between people that belong to God or people that belong to the devil. That'll kind of blow your mind, won't it? And you can continue in 1 John and, and searching out the scripture there in 1 John 1, 1.5 and 1 John 2.11 and you begin to see that anyone who walks in this hate walks in blindness. They walk in the darkness. God is the light and Jesus said himself, I came to give sight to the blind. I've never been without my eyesight. Even though as I get older I need my readers a little bit more than I used to. But I can tell you, I praise God that Jesus came to give me sight, even though my eyes have never been dim. That I might be free from that prejudice and that hatred that would limit me and hinder me from knowing God and walking in the life that he's called me to. When we see that kind of prejudice and that kind of hatred, it is an opportune time to make an introduction. I want to give you the fourth one here. I told you we're moving fast. I think you see this one a lot in the world, fear. You don't have to limit it to the word fear. You can use things like anxiety or, or other elements. I mean, honestly, my intention today is to go home and, and try to get a little bit of rest. I've had quite a week, and, and I'm, I'll probably find a way to, to finagle some kind of a football game through my phone onto my television. And, and as I'm watching that football game, I'll bet you I'll see a dozen commercials for people that need help with anxiety. You know, ask your doctor about... Anxiety and fear and these things are such a massive part of our culture that that it's it's prevailing even in our media that that this is such a common issue and, and it is a common issue that it needs to be addressed. Well, I tell you, we carry the solution. A single introduction to your Heavenly Father is the most absolute solution to fear and anxiety we mentioned earlier in, in the book of First John that God is love. If you want a, a passage of scripture for your notes here as it concerns fear, First John 4, 18, that there's absolutely no fear in love, but that love casts out all fear. I mean, I, I don't think you could word it in any more aggressive way. It's not just that, you know, love wins or love outweighs all fear, but casts out, when I think of casts out, I think a a very aggressive act. I mean, it would be one thing if one of our sentinels here, Sammy, were to escort someone out who was maybe causing some kind of a a disruption or a threat to someone who was present here, and it would be another thing if we were to see the mighty Sammy cast someone out of here. (laughs) I'd buy tickets for that. But consider that, that this love that God has for you, when it enters into your life, it casts out fear and anxiety. That means it hunts it down, it finds it, it grabs it, it throws it out. It's Very aggressive, very intentional, and very effective. When we see people suffering fear and anxiety around us, this is an opportune time to make an introduction. Hey, I need to introduce you to my Heavenly Father. I want to give you this last one here and we're going to close. I, I struggle with how to word this last one and, and so I'm just going to go with, with something and because I think it's a real issue in our culture. I'm going to go with loneliness. When you see loneliness, this is an opportune time to make an introduction. I want to give you a passage of scripture here and, and we'll, we won't see the word loneliness in it but rather we'll see the solution to loneliness I'll give you this passage of Scripture from uh, 1 John uh, chapter 1. I want to read verses 5 through 7. It reads like this. Now, God is light, and in him there's no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him but yet walk in the darkness, we lie and we don't practice the truth. Now, here's where I really want us to pay attention. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, that means if we do the things that he does... The result will be we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all corruption. The word there is is sin. You know, the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. And I mean, sin is an interesting thing. I I could take way too much time talking about just the idea of sin. Sin can be a mistake. It can be an error. You know, it's transgression that is this act of rebellion. Transgression is, I knew what I was doing, and I did it on purpose. Sin could be a a mistake. I could sin against you and and come to you and say, oh, brother, I had no idea I was hurting you. And you could say, that's okay, I I realize that, and I forgive you. And and we have this this wonderful restoration. When you see that this fellowship that God's called us to, it opens up the door for the blood of Jesus to protect us from accidentally hurting each other, (laughs) to protect us from sin. That we can come into an environment and that Jesus is there chaperoning and supervising that environment. Moving through us and among us by his spirit. Keeping that environment safe. Safe from offense and abuse and hurt and wound. The house of God is meant to be a place of sanctuary. That doesn't just mean that's the room that we worship in. It means this is the room that we are safe in. Pretty awesome. When you see that loneliness, (laughs) it it should open our eyes to know this is an opportune time to make an introduction. I want to stop there. I want to ask you to stand with me this morning. I, I mentioned before that third thing that we were going to find was going to be how to know if we're godly. And I want to offer that thought as you stand with me. You'll see in the way that scripture is written that if we walk in the light as he is in the light, then we will have fellowship with one another. I want to offer that to you as an aiming stake, a a place of, of measurement to examine ourselves by. Basically, that statement means if we are doing things the way God is doing things, then this will be the result. We'll have fellowship with one another. I think it's really amazing that it doesn't say that if we do things the way God does things, then we'll have fellowship with God. But it says that if we do things the way God does things, then we will have fellowship with each other. I want to examine my life for that. Father, am I circulating in the body of Christ? Am I part of the fellowship that makes up the the body of Jesus Christ and the house of God? I want to do things the way you do things. By definition, that would be godly. I want to do the things that God does. And I can examine my life. Is my life rich with fellowship among the saints? And if I can check off that box... I can understand that, the, that this is an indication that godliness is prevailing, that godliness is existent. Well, the point of the message was to equip to equip with the, the, the calling that's on your life, to make that introduction, to, to be the one that can know and understand the power of, of knowing not just about God, but who He is. And to be able to see the things that exist in the world. And that list is by no means absolute. It's only a few things that exist in this world that cry out for the desperate need to have that introduction extended. And it's us, the calling and the anointing upon our lives to make that introduction. I want to pray this morning. I want to ask God to do something in our hearts and in our minds. And and that work that he would do on our behalf, I, I want to ask that it be done for the sake of a productive ministry existing in and through our lives. There where you stand, I want to pray. I want to ask these things. Father, we bless your name and we thank you for your word. We thank you for the call that you've placed upon our lives, not only to receive from your hand, but to extend your gift to those around us. We thank you for the introduction that has been made in all of our lives through different ways with different testimonies that we would be introduced to you and that you would receive us with open arms and protect us now from being distracted by simply the academic to know about you, but let us long to know you more and more. Let it be in our thoughts and in our prayers that we would long to to be closer, to to know more, and to engage more in our daily lives with you. And and let this be our calling that we would introduce those in this world who are in desperate need of all that you are, that we would be equipped to introduce them to you, that we wouldn't feel a, a, a need to. Uh, work academically and, and convincing them that you exist and that they should uh, live their lives a certain way, but that we might simply have so much fellowship with you that it would spill out onto them and they would be so drawn to you that you yourself in who you are and your faithfulness and your mighty love would truly be the evangelist and that we simply may be the vessel. Let doors be open for great things to come into existence in and through your kingdom as we begin to celebrate knowing you and introducing those around us to you. We bless your name and thank you for this mighty call. We rejoice above all things in the wonders of your faithfulness. In Jesus' mighty name, all the saints declared, amen.